We'll give him a minute or so, and then I'll, I'll message him. Uh, I got to drive somewhere, so I'm going to just be listening for the first, like, 10 minutes, I think. Inshallah. How's everybody doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Well, so far, so good. Trying to get through the week. Well, that's, uh, that's how it be. Have uh, any of you guys been watching uh, like soccer matches? Have any of you guys into that? Bro, I don't believe in soccer. Dang. No soccer matches for me. You watch any games? Uh, I watch some highlights with some friends. Um, so I get the hype, but I'm not really a sports watcher. Like, I gotta really like watching sports. Yeah, I'll go ahead and send him a message uh, now, inshallah, and then we'll see what he says.
Yeah, I just sent him a message, so we'll see what he says. Inshallah. It's probably just running late, but you never know. Assalamualaikum. Can you all hear me? Can you hear me? Waalaikumsalam. Yeah. Okay, hold on. I can't hear you. One second. Okay, can someone say something? Waalaikumsalam. Rahmatullah. How are you doing, my brothers in Al-Islam? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. All righty. Sorry about the... Thank you for the patience. Sorry for, for the tardiness. And did I leave you with an assignment? I've forgotten at the moment. No, no assignments from last week. Astaghfirullah. Okay. All righty. And so then we had a conversation last time about anger. And then where did we leave off? I may, I might not have all the notes, but we started. We we're talking about like righteous anger. Uh -huh. um, you went through, you went through the different types of anger and what causes anger. Uh -huh. um, what did I say? So you talked about we talked about frustration, envy. Oh, um, you did have a homework assignment, yeah, which apparently nobody did. Then the homework assignment was to see if you can find envy in the oh, yeah. conflicts sorry there was yeah sorry yeah. i don't know if i sent a message about it but i think i think we did during class okay yeah we had so many messages after that I totally forgot <laughs> okay uh, did anybody do it uh i can think of an example okay let's go for it uh the story of prophet yusuf okay. uh when his uh father told him don't tell uh, the dream you had to your brothers. Yes, yes, perfect example. And obviously, everything that ensued after, where they plotted against him, you know, ended up throwing him in the well. Yes. And the story goes on. Yeah, that's uh, an absolutely perfect example. Because would it be fair to say that that was driven by envy? Question for everybody. Yes. Yeah. What about uh, the other cases? What do you think? And so after they dump him the well, then the people find him. Uh, what do you think? Is there possibly envy in their story? You have the people find him and they decide, hey, they can sell him off and make a lot of money. Wait, are you asking if there's envy on this on, from the people who sold him? Or? Yeah, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> here's the question to think about. Uh, when in your read of the story, when they find him and they're deciding to sell him, 
is there any secrecy or deceit involved? Because if that's the case, then they feel or they know they're doing something wrong. What do you think? We can even pull it up. I think there was some deceit. I don't know the textual um, evidence for it, but uh, something was there either something where they noticed um, that they could uh, sell him for a good price, possibly uh -huh. because of his uh, appearance or demeanor, you know, something like that. Or um, also, I think when they were rescuing him, um, you know, I don't think they flat out told him that they were going to sell him. I think they told him some other um, mm -hmm. reason. And then under that guise, they ended up selling him. So, yeah, uh, in the ayah, uh, so what good news? This is a gulam, like here's a little boy. Okay. They hid him. They hid him as merchandise. So there's some secrecy going on which means they know that they're doing wrong. Now, <clears throat> it, so, so to walk you through the logic, when people are doing wrong, sometimes they're just overcome by their, their hawa or their nafs, yeah? You know, like someone just can't control themselves in the moment. Uh, when it's calculated, hey, come here. Give us a second here. Oh, I'm sorry. How are you? So I got a ton of things. So um, Hazan, mm -hmm. double check accounted. Sorry, we're um, we're getting the money together for our Umrah trip. Let me just take a photo of all these for my own records. Okay. And then so while I'm doing this for you guys that are online. So one reason people do wrong is that they're just overtaken by their appetites. But when it's calculated, then it's willful, regardless of appetites, but it is often justified somewhere in their story as we are have-nots and they other people are haves. See what I'm saying? That, that people will often justify their wrongdoing in general. Let me just take photos. And then... okay. So one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, including some big ones. Mm -hmm. So, so that be safe. All for Yeah. Alrighty. Okay, inshallah. Uh, in case people give me more, I'll let you know, inshallah. Uh, there might be some more people, like you said, who might be giving stuff tomorrow. Yeah, Olian just told me he's giving tomorrow. Okay. Adan's giving to me right now. Okay. I'll update. Okay. Uh, said he's already been talking to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll pick it up. Okay. Okay, cool. I'll keep updating the 
Yeah, I went to the document. It was empty when I looked at it, but it might have been just me something wrong in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um. Yeah, I'll fill it out. Okay. Okay, inshallah. Right. And your your examiner, if you want to pay. Yeah, I'm low. I was actually here. Walk him in clutch. Thank you very much. Okay, inshallah. All right. Okay, we'll talk inshallah. Sorry, sorry about that. Thank you for waiting. Okay, so so the point is that when people are doing wrong, at some point, especially if it's career mischief, some at some point they justify the logic. So I'm suggesting possibly in the people who sold him off, they've actually done this. Because it's almost like they didn't think twice, right? They saw him, bam, same sentence. We, you know, what good news? We found this kid, we can sell him off. And they started hiding him. In that surah, what is the next conflict? Basically, he gets he gets purchased, and it's the governor, and you know the Aziz and his, uh, and then his wife goes after him. What do you think? Is there a way to find envy in there? She was envious of him, right? That he wouldn't like do anything with her, and she was yeah. trying to make, I guess, like uh, attempts. Yeah, here I think it's harder to argue envy, though. She's upset, right? She's trying to tack him down. But it seems like here she's taken over by her appetites and such. To, to lust, really, right? So either it's lust or it's awe. Um, now, we commonly read this as lust, right? Now, imagine the beauty that Yusuf salam is said to have. Right, that half the beauty of the universe is in his face. I know some of you are looking at me and thinking the same thing, you know. <laughs> so the point is that if he's that beautiful, she's taking leave of her senses. And that's akin to the behavior of the women with their, you know, who are like cutting the salad and all that stuff in the apples, and they see him and they they forget themselves. Right. So envy, maybe I think that one's hard to argue. Uh then so she's chasing after him, it's ripped. And then um so the Aziz is telling him to apologize. The women ah what about the women gossiping about the wife of the Aziz? I'd suggest a fuel for gossip is envy. Again, sometimes envy is against a person. Sometimes it's against a, uh, a status or a, uh, a a social strata, a social class. That's often what gets people envious. Let's just do a couple other ones and then... Um, so then he's in prison. They have the dream, the king. Um, you know, then everything else, and he remates his brothers. Uh, what about what are some of the other bigger stories in the Quran of conflict? Would uh, um, Abil and Kabil? I mean, they yeah, the brothers kill each other. Or That's one straight of the up. Isn't that straight up envy? 
that Allah accepted his offering but didn't accept his own. And so, boom. Yeah. So, again, what is the point uh, to consider here? The point is that that one of the, if not the primary causes of much of the wrong of the world is envy. And among the worst forms of envy is hasad. What is the difference between hasad and other forms? Hasad is when you're jealous of someone and, uh, and thus you want them destroyed. So lower levels of envy would be, for example, you know, it's not fair that you get what you get and I don't get and um, I don't get it. Um, but you may not want them hurt. You just feel upset, right? Or lower level is you spend your time looking at what other people have, regardless of what you have. Hasad is regardless of whatever reason you have what you have, the fact that you have it makes you want you destroyed. You you know how Stad and Zephyr, there's we talked about like righteous anger. Could you say, like, can someone have? If you want to say like righteous envy towards someone who's, if let's say they're at a certain level of practice or whatever, and you look at that person, you're like, I want to be like that person. Could mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> how do you reconcile that if someone looks at that and they're like, I want that, yeah. but <clears throat> it may be envious if you talk to someone about it. But is there is there that concept as well too with envy, like righteous envy, or would it be something else? So the prophet peace be upon him said spoke of two types of envy that are. Okay. Anybody know what they are? Um, somebody who is righteous. Oh, sorry, somebody who spends his wealth uh, on like righteous causes. I, I think that's one of them. What's the other one? It's just somebody who is ahead of you in Dean. Yeah, or knowledge. Knowledge, right. yeah. So the wealth one can be like in one narration that I'm forgetting uh, where uh it's that you are envious of someone who has wealth period with your intention being that if i had such wealth i would use it in terms of generosity so the common framing is that this person is wealthy and generous and therefore you're envy you're envious that i wish i could do that but in one of the narrations you're, you, the fact that they have wealth, regardless of what they're doing with it, your envy is that if I had such wealth, I would be generous. Okay. And then likewise, that if you had such knowledge, you would give benefit to people. That could be something akin to the Dean thing. I think the Dean thing is a little bit harder to argue if we, um, if we look at Dean as being under my control. Right, so there's the the poorer companions complained to the prophet, peace be upon him, that the rich do everything we do, but then on top of that, they have all this money to donate. So, what did the prophet, peace be upon him, tell them? He, yeah, go ahead, Fezan. Well, I'm not sure if this is it, but is it is is there anything about the the poor people entering Jannah first? Is there anything like that? uh, There may be something like that, but basically, he said. If you say subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, you will surpass them unless they also do it. Meaning the weight of those adhkar is that great that it is potentially even greater 
than the sadaqa, which is a pretty heavy statement. Uh, there may be other narrations about who's entering paradise first. Likewise, the women complained that, you know, these guys get to go out and battle and become shaheed. And then a lot of people in the present day may not like the prophet's answer, but his answer was what? That the work you are doing at home is equivalent reward. Yeah. Of someone on the battlefield. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> but yeah, I think uh, 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 um, the bringing us back to the point that the devil uh, is, we can argue, is driven by hasad, and so he's dedicated his life to destroying all of us, right? Uh, okay, so I think we are um, at the passage that says, then, my friend, I remark with surprise that you have not answered the question I asked. If you just do a search for that. Then, my friend, I remark with surprise. Or if you just do, I remark with surprise, because there's commas and such. Y'all see it? Okay. Let's see. Uh, let's make a... Um, has anyone here not been either Socrates or Euthyphro? You've all been one or the other? Okay. How about, let's make Shazan uh, Euthyphro, let's make Ali Socrates. Uh, I'm starting with the, then my friend, right? Yeah. Okay. So, okay, so my, I'm up. All right. Then, my friend, I remark with surprise that you have not answered the questions which I asked. For I certainly did not ask you to tell me what action is both pious and impious. But now it would seem that what is loved by the gods is also hated by them. And therefore, Euthypro, in uh, thus uh, chastising your father, you may very likely be doing what is agreeable to Zeus, but disagreeable to Kronos or Uranus. And uh, was acceptable to Hephaestus, uh, but unacceptable to hear, to hear or to Hera. Hera, uh, okay. it's probably Hera, but yeah. Okay, yeah, and there there may be other gods who have similar differences of opinion. Okay, so remember, what is the overall question? What is righteous? Uh, righteous is that which the gods love, and then and then Socrates is arguing, well, they disagree. So it's possible for you to do something that these gods love and those gods don't. Okay, you throw. But I believe, Socrates, that all the gods would be agreed as to the propriety of punishing a murderer. Propriety, yeah. propriety of propriety punishing would a be like murder. the properness of punishing a murderer. Yeah. There would be no difference of opinion about that. Okay, next big question. So we have no central authority, right? So one of the advantages Catholics have is that you have a central authority that, that at least in the big issues, decides what's right and wrong. We have no central authority. And so then how do we determine right and wrong? It's by consensus. Okay. What are things over which there seems to be unanimous consensus in our dean? Easy question that I may have asked before. Five pillars. Even easier than that. One God. One God. Right. And then for the majority of the people who self-identify as Muslim, the the 
uh, ending of the Nabuwa with the prophet peace be upon him, right? And this is vast majority. The what are the exceptions? You have the Nation of Islam, you have the Ahmadi or the Qadianis, right? Um, and some other groups that I'm probably forgetting at the moment. So, uh, in terms of other things, in in terms of actions, uh, how many different? How often? Like when we have differences of opinion, generally speaking, how many differences of opinion are there? On most issues, usually it's like two opinions. Mm. Even with the four schools, you'll keep seeing the Hanafis say this and the Jumhur, the majorities, say this. Right? Uh, very, very often on most issues, it's literally two opinions. Sometimes it's four. But think, for example... Uh, anything like in prayer, uh, the different parts of prayer. When you have the, you know, do you say Bismillah out loud or not? Fifty percent says out loud. Fifty percent says no. Do you Rafidan? Right. Uh, two of the four say yes. Yes, yeah, everybody says. Two of the four say no. You know, uh, and just about every issue you can think of, uh, you would think theoretically. We might have a thousand different opinions. Now, if we include, okay, okay, no, hold on. If we include the graduates of WhatsApp University, then we might have 50,000 opinions and everything, all from the same uncle. Okay. But I'm saying actual practice in the vast majority of issues, usually you have two to four, maybe five, maybe six different opinions. Um, question. Uh, yeah. So, you know, within the school, so is that including like the opinions that like students would have within the schools? Because I got yes. heard that they've had like different, you know, they deferred with you Abu Hanifa himself. Yeah, so. I mean, okay. so so often there will be the official Hanafi opinion in the case of the Hanafis, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but you will often have Abu Hanifa will have opinion, and his two super students will disagree, or those three will will have uh, a common opinion, and another highly ranked student Zufar will have a different opinion, right? But then when you include them with the Shafi and Maliki Hanbali opinions, it still winds up like three or four opinions total. And, and so this is one of the blessings in the tradition that when you look at it from a theoretical perspective, it seems like you can have unlimited opinions. But in practice, it literally comes down to a couple. All right, let's continue reading. All right. Um, okay. Uh, well, yeah. but speak, speaking of men, uh, Yuthifro, uh, did you ever hear anyone arguing that a murderer or any sort of evildoer ought to be let off? I should rather say that these are the questions which they are always arguing, especially in courts of law. They commit all sorts of crimes, and there is nothing which they will not do or say in their own defense. But okay. Do they, oh, sorry. Oh, okay. So, in what cases would you have an execution? Generally speaking, in Islamic law, in a utopian Islamic setting, murder. So potentially murder. Rape. 
potentially rape? Uh, adultery, but I guess that's stoning, debatable. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's, uh, it's the majority opinion. Yeah. Well, no, I meant in, sen- in the sense of you. Oh, yeah, I was I was just thinking in the sense of how what what what's required to get to that point. Sure, sure, fair enough. I mean, let's assume you have everything you need for a conviction, and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. What else? Apostasy. Apostasy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Treason would treason fall into this? Treason and apostasy are basically the same thing. Like in our era, um, what is the primary identification? Nationality. Yeah. Your nationality is your primary identification above all else. Everything is secondary to your nationality. Like, did you hear the story about that Iranian guy uh, about whom that Tom Hanks movie was made? You know, the Tom Hanks movie when he's stuck in the airport, the terminal? You know the story? Yeah. Yeah. So the Iranian guy that it's based on, he just died like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And so what was his story? He was stuck at the Paris airport because he officially did not have a nationality. So he couldn't go anywhere. Um, the sad part is that he was, they finally, you know, as his story got popularity, you know, the people arranged for him to go to the hospital and even get his freedom. But like people said that he was so like mentally affected by being in the airport that he just went right back to the airport. So he spent literally like his last 10 years in the airport voluntarily. But that's besides the point. The point being that your primary identification is your citizenship. In the time of the prophet, peace be upon him, your primary identity was your religious affiliation. So today, how does somebody become Muslim? Easy question. Say the Shahada. At the time of the Prophet, how did you become Muslim? Peace be upon him. You give bay'ah to the Prophet. Right? With the Shahada. Which means that you, when you became Muslim, you officially became part of the ummah as an active member, as though it is a movement. No, movement oriented. So, so the point is that um, that was your primary identification then. And thus, if you are leaving the deen, it's treason. Yeah, so those are, those are the, the, the cases of murder or the case of execution. One is murder, and essentially the uh, specific various violent crimes, uh, apostasy, and if you're married and you commit adultery. So, all right, let's continue. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but do they admit their guilt, a euthypro, uh, and yet say that uh, they ought not to be punished? No, they do not. Then there are some things which they do not venture to say and do, for they do not venture to argue that the guilty are to be unpunished, but they deny their guilt. But uh, do they not? Yes. Then they do not argue that the evildoer should not be punished, but they argue about the fact of who the evildoer is and what he did and when. True. Okay. Let's uh, make sense of what's going on here because the they is is making everything confusing. Yeah. All right. 
So Euthyphro says, I believe Socrates, all gods would be agreed, it would be in agreement that you have to punish a murderer. Okay, no difference of opinion about that. So, and would you all agree that, yeah, this is probably what most societies would agree upon. The punishment might be disagreed upon, but everyone would agree that a murderer should be punished. Convicted murderer. Yeah? Right. Yeah, it's probably fair yeah. to say that every culture probably would agree. Okay. And so then, uh, but speaking of men, Euthyphro, did you ever hear anyone arguing that a murderer or any sort of evildoer should be let off? Okay, so this is the question he's raising. Okay. When is a murderer left off from punishment in our era? If they're not found guilty. Well, I mean, then, then they're not a murderer, right? I mean, officially. If he's if he if he uh, if he's part of a state apparatus. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I mean, unfortunately, that's true. But um, insanity defense. Mm. right you can argue the same thing in our tradition but it seems to me even if someone does not have the alcohol i'm saying this as an educated guess um it seems as though if someone still does not have the alcohol they're still in dunya subject to the punishment because they did not have other places nevertheless yeah question about that is that could I know we're we're in the realm of sort of um, guessing anyway, but yeah. would that be related to how we see punishment as a as an absolvement of sorts? Um, possibly, I'm seeing it more from the perspective of a lack of prisons. Ah, okay, right. So, amputation is related to lack of prisons, right? Bam, prisoners of war, lack of prisons. Concubines, lack of prisons, right? Um, and so naturally, there have been many Muslim polities, you know, deriving legitimacy in, from Islam that have had prisons. So I don't know how they have, have done these things. Uh, side question, when are you technically um, mentally ill, like insane? Or the flip side, when are you mentally sound? What's like you can differentiate like uh, within your actions, like right from wrong or mm-hmm. uh, pre-immediate. And uh, choose the right. You may not have the willpower, but you recognize right from wrong, or you recognize that which is good for you, that which is bad for you, and you have the capability of choosing that which is good. Then you are aqil, right? The person of aqil. Okay. So that'd be a case where the murderer might be left off. All right, let us continue. Oh, sorry. And I should rather say that these are the questions which are always, they're always arguing, especially in the courts of law. Uh, What's the difference between a qadi and a mufti? A qadi can make judgments that are like, uh, they can pass judgments on people, right? A a mufti is just sort of like more like a lawmaker. As opposed to like a judge. So think of the mufti as not having authority. Mm-hmm. So the qadi <laughs> has coercive power. Mm-hmm. The mufti 
will be operating within a specific school of law. The Qadi historically will not be bound by any school of law, generally speaking. So you like might the have God, the Qadi's like ruling is like binding, right? Like it, there's one, okay. So the Qadi will be looking at the opinions okay, and may limit himself to a school and then may use uh, instruments in that school to come to a conclusion. But generally speaking, in our history, the Qadi has not been bound by a school of law. Whereas a mufti is essentially, what would we call it? Like a, not even a lawyer, but almost like a counselor. <laughs> that would be, that'd be Muslim chaplain. No, um, the, it would be sort of like a law school professor where fundamentally it's the interpretation of the constitution, something like that. Someone who's training the interpretation of law. Okay, so not necessarily someone who would be defending you in court either. Okay. All right, so uh, especially in the courts of law, they commit all sorts of crimes. There's nothing which they will not do or say in their own defense. So this is, uh, again, the people who are in, who are being uh, accused. <clears throat> but do they admit their guilt and say they should not be punished? So he's saying those people who are in court and plead guilty... Are they saying they should not be punished? And Euthyphro is saying, no, they don't say that. Then there are some things which they do not venture to say or do. For they do not venture to argue that the guilty are to be unpunished. But they deny their guilt, do they not? So again, the, the English is kind of convoluted. The people who plead guilty are acknowledging they should be punished. He's saying, you're not going to find someone plead guilty and say you shouldn't punish me. So, which then means that they might be lying when they say they are not guilty. Then they do not argue that the evildoer should not be punished, but they argue about the fact of who the evildoer is. So related to the question of uh, who said it, that uh, who should not be murdered, and I think uh, Bilal Shazan said someone who's not guilty. And so basically that's what he's saying, right? That... Uh, the disagreement first is over who is the the, the convict. Okay. But if there's an agreement that someone is the criminal, then there's an agreement that the person should be punished. Okay, that's what that whole convoluted part was about. Now back to Euthyphro says true, Socrates says. Uh, and the gods are in the same case. Oh, and, and the gods are in the same case if, as you assert, they quarrel about just and unjust, and some of them, while others deny that injustice is done among them. For surely neither God nor man will ever venture to say that the doer of injustice is not to be punished. Okay, so same point again. Right. It says now he's adding the gods will also argue who is guilty, who is not. But everyone agrees that the wrongdoer should be punished. Continue. That is true, Socrates, in the main but they join issue about the particulars, God and men alike. Um, and if they dispute at all, they dispute about some act which is called in question and which by some is affirmed to be just, by others to be unjust. Is not that true? 
quite true. So same point. Again, they, they're disagreeing. Okay, continue. Well then, my dear friend Yutifro, do tell me for my better instruction and information, what proof have you that in the opinion of all the gods, a servant who is guilty of murder and is put in chains by the master of the dead man and <laughs> dies because he's put in chains before he who bound him uh, can learn from the interpreters of the gods what he ought to do with him, uh, dies unjustly. And that on behalf of such uh, such an one a son ought to proceed against his father and accuse him of murder. How would you show that all the gods absolutely agree in approving of his act? Prove to me that they do, and I will applaud your wisdom as long as I live. Okay, so what is Socrates asking Euthyphro here? He's saying, uh, can you give me like a unified opinion from all the gods that what you're saying like against your father is is acceptable yeah the whole thing not just murder but put in chains dies because he's put in chains so forth and so on okay can you show me can you prove to me that the gods would agree on this all right continue it will be a difficult task but I could make the matter very clear indeed to you. I understand. You mean to say that I am not so quick of apprehension as the judges, for to them you will be sure to prove that the act is unjust and hateful to the gods. Yes, indeed, Socrates, at least if they will listen to me. So Euthyphro is saying, yeah, I can convince the gods. I'll show you. Um, okay. But they will be sure to listen if they find that you are a good speaker. There was a notion that came into my mind while you were speaking. I said to myself, well, and what if Euthyphro does prove to me that all the gods regard the death of the serf as unjust? How do I know anything more of the nature of piety and impiety? For granting that this action may be hateful to the gods, still piety and impiety are not adequately defined by these distinctions for that which is hateful to the gods has been shown to be also pleasing and dear to them. And therefore, Euthyphro, I do not ask you to prove this. I will suppose if you like, uh, if you like, uh, if you like that all the gods condemn and abominate such an action, but I will amend the definition so far as to say that what all the gods hate is impious and what they love pious or holy and what some of them love and others hate is both or neither shall this be our definition of piety and impiety so again this is this is uh more of the repetition of the same point right gods love it it's pious gods hate it's impious but gods disagree on some things and continue why not socrates Uh, why not certainly as far as i'm concerned youth of road there is no reason why not but there's admission, but but whether this admission will greatly assist you in the task of instructing me as you promise is a matter for you to consider. Yes, I should say that what all the gods love is pious and holy, and the opposite which they all hate, impious. Uh, so you see, you see basically what Euthyphro's modified. He's saying if all the gods love and hate it, then it's pious or impious. Whereas before he said anything. 
Continue. Uh, ought we to inquire into the truth of this euthyphro or simply to accept the mere statement on our own authority and that of others? Uh, what do you say? We should inquire, and I believe that the statement will stand the test of inquiry. Um, we shall know better, my good friend, in a little while. Uh, the point which I should first wish to understand is whether the pious or holy is beloved by the gods because it is holy or holy because it is beloved uh, of the gods? All right. So this is now a new question. This is one of the big questions of philosophy. And so how do you all answer this? So first, Euthyphro or Socrates is asking, do the gods love something because it is right, it is pious, or is it pious because they uh, love it? So... When Allah Ta'ala chose the prophet, peace be upon him, as his Habib, as his final prophet, did he choose him because of the prophet's greatness? Or is the prophet's greatness because Allah chose him? That's question one. Question two will be very similar. What do you all think? Could you repeat it? Okay. First one. So one of the names of the prophet, peace upon him, is he is Mustafa, right? The chosen. So did Allah choose the prophet to be the prophet because Muhammad ibn Abdullah, may Allah may peace be upon him, was so great and so perfect? Or is he uh, so great and perfect because Allah chose him? Um. Now, look, don't we, before oh. you before you try to answer, the real issue is not what answer you pick, but that's what I want you to do. The real issue is what other insights can we get because of the discussion? All right, go for it, Omar. What were you going to say? Uh, I I was from approaching it from an angle um, of how we how we say or our tradition is basically that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is the is the greatest of all creation. Mm -hmm. Uh, or the best of all creation. Um, yes. I would have to say that um, it was because of Allah creating him that way. Okay. You know, that like, that he wasn't chosen because he was great. Allah created him great. Yeah. And your thoughts? I was going to agree with Omar that we we give the Prophet the honor and the respect because of because Allah gives him that honor himself like he says okay. this is what his status is because okay. even i guess to your point like how he was before being chosen um that's kind of like based off of society right what's good and what's wrong like we only know what's allowed and what isn't allowed because of what allah has told us right yeah you no that was it that was it oh no i'm saying anyone else is this one of those situations where there's only two opinions and it has to be one or the other? Or well, can it be where? <laughs> so how about somebody argue the other approach? That Allah chose him because of his greatness. Yeah, I'll, 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 I mean, I can, I, I would say, yeah, if I was saying that, that I would say, you know, something can be recognized as good and great and amazing by like universally. And the Prophet also had this amazing character before prophethood. And, um, being a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, 
you know, elevates him to a status uh, incomparable, but maybe being chosen, him being chosen because he is the best of the best. Okay. So think back right. to, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, the, for me, like the, the, the struggle I'm having trying to like approach it from the other side is that like, I feel like it feels uh, inconsistent, like Aqidah wise, because it yeah. kind of like, <laughs> argue it. Because it's it's almost like you're putting the Prophet now uh, like before God, right? Because you know, if you want to talk about God being like the first, you know, and and sort of creating everything, if you were to say, at least that's how I'm reading this. If I was to say that the Prophet had something innate in him, like that was already good, it seems like, well, wouldn't that good have been given to him by God anyway? Yeah. Like it, it, you know, the source has to be God. Okay. So it it feels like when at least the way the question is phrased, it, it almost feels like, hey, the prophet has something good in him that's again all the like independent of God. Okay. And it well, just feels you, like I can't. Sorry, couldn't you say like I mean the technically the prophet Sultan had choice like every single one of us. So I don't know in a way. I mean, even though Allah imbued him with all these things, I mean he 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 could have not chosen to i don't know i'm shooting i'm going a little extreme here but i'm just uh, saying he could have not done what he did you know uh for all of humanity um okay i don't know I think yeah but I, like, for uh, me to Umar, oh, go ahead. i was gonna say to like the way that i view it like what kind of what Umar is saying like the only reason why we give the prophet solemn his status and the love that we have for him is because that god chose him Okay. Um, and the fact that, you know, he praises him throughout the Quran and things like that. So without Allah choosing him and giving him that status, you know, like we would not give him that same respect, right? It's the okay. only because we believe in Allah and his message that we take it to that level is how I view it. All right. And your I thoughts? guess another, another way right. to look at it is also like the other prophets, you know, alayhi salam, right? That like, they aren't bestowed that same honor of like with regards to their creation, how they were created, uh-huh. you know? Um, yeah, you know, like, yeah, you know, every prophet has, has honor bestowed upon him, but like, I don't, you know, I don't think any other prophet is, is, is even given something close to the best of all creation, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so for me, like that being sort of the originating point or like the, the start of the Prophet Sallallahu as it were, in our, in our conceptualization of him, it feels, again, it feels like I'm, I'm blaspheming if I were to say that there was something good in him before God chose him. Okay. All right. So any other thoughts? So I think built into to the hesitancy is that you feel it's as though we are almost asserting that Allah does not know all, right? That Allah discovers this, right? But we aren't saying that though, you know. But now <clears throat> you see what I have on the screen, Al-Baqarah. I was with these other students. They're totally ripping on me that all I do is teach Al-Baqarah. And then every single, nearly every single example I had that evening for whatever random things we were talking about for from Al-Baqarah. Anyway, so Ibrahim alayhi salam, okay, 
So when his Lord put Ibrahim, peace be upon him, to the test, he fulfilled them. Yeah? And he says, I'm going to make you an imam for the people. And then what is Ibrahim? The first thing he asks, what about my descendants? And effectively, yeah, but my promise does not apply to the unjust, to the volumes. So far, so good. Okay. Next. So then Allah Ta'ala says, when we made the Kaaba a frequented place, People, here it says a place of, of peace. And then part of the instructions of Hajj and Umrah is make the maqam of Ibrahim a place to pray. And then we gave instructions to Ibrahim and Ismail, purify the house for those who come and those who do itikaf, so forth and so on. Yeah, so far so good. Next ayah, Ibrahim prays. Okay, make this city a city of peace. Provide its people with fruits, right? Makkah is barren. Both please give them fruits, those who believe in Allah in the last day. That's actually a really cool point. That what's the fruit? The fruit is taqwa. And as for those who disbelieve, Allah says, I'll let them enjoy time for a little while, then they're going to hell. Okay. 127. Ibrahim is raising the foundations. Okay. Yarfa'u. Okay. Al-Qawaid. Raising the foundations of the house along with his son. They make this dua, good dua, to memorize Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka anta samiul alim, right? Accept this from us. You're the hearing the all-knowing. Okay? So far, so good? Then they're making the prayer to Allah, make us Muslimin, make us submissive to you. Right? They literally just obeyed Allah and everything. And then they're praying for Allah to make them submissive, as well as our descendants. And then give us the manasik of hajj Except our Tawbah. You are Tawab Rahim. So far, so good. Now the fun part. Then they are saying, raise a messenger from these people. Okay. Who recites the verses, teaches the book, teaches the wisdom, purifies them. Right? This, uh, this passage you find many times in the Quran. Yatlu alayhim ayatika wa yu'allimahum al-kitaba wal-hikmah wa yu'zakihim. So, based on this ayah, it looks like the Prophet, peace be upon him, was a request by Ibrahim alayhi salam. Doesn't it look like that? No. But isn't it a matter of perspective? Well, this is the direction we're going to get to, right? But argue your point. I mean, for me, again, it, it just seems it, like it, part of me doesn't even want to like argue this because it's like I'm arguing from a perspective that I shouldn't be arguing from because ultimately like this involves God and and how he sort of wants like time and history and all these things to flow and I clearly have no, like, no reason to, like, speak on these things because my my scope is so limited. But like you said, I keep, from here, it appears as though it's a dua being made by Ibrahim and Ismail mm-hmm. But then it's also, knowing what we know, it's also could, like, it, it just it seems to get into, like, predestination and all those types of things, you know, like, where it's, like, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could, by his sort of infinite power, he could also 
have already had that in place mm-hmm. and still the dua being made is, is being made. Okay. Any other thoughts? Fezan, you were saying something. Oh, no, I was just saying, yeah, I, I, I mean, a complete opposite of, of, sorry, not opposite, but in agreement of the direction we're going in, it seems like in response to the dua. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what would be wisdom that we can gather by the fact that Ibrahim alayhi salam and Ismail alayhi salam are making this dua? Or that Allah is telling us that they made this dua? So So I'm saying one argument is that the appearance of the prophet peace be upon him right. is the answer to their prayer. Uh, I'm sorry, Ali, what are you going to say? I mean, I don't know if this, I guess it's just a general comment, but Ibrahim doesn't really know that. I mean, he's making this dua in hopes that he has a progeny where the lost already, that, that would act as a messenger where the lost already knew that, I guess. Well, Allah obviously knew. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I guess. I don't know, I think that's all I want to say. I don't know what okay. I think one thing uh, to be sort of one wisdom to be gleaned from this is that, um, you know, I think a lot of times people tend, tend to get lost in fate and predestination and things sure. of that nature. And, you know, things are already written. You know, I've uh, to bring up a personal example, I feel like I deal with this all the time, but like, uh, older parents where they're if they get sick they're like well i'm old i'm gonna die soon anyway and it's like you don't know that like stop saying that uh-huh. you know so i think like what this does is sort of kind of like gives us the the lesson that we should always be seeking good from god regardless of you know however however we might like think that things are already written down and things are already set in stone like we should still pray for what we want to pray for, ultimately good will come from them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any other reflections? Does this feel more borderline blasphemous than the assignment before of finding contradictions? <laughs> I I think for me, it's just a, like, I don't want to, like, it just, I don't like feel, I feel uncomfortable talking about it from like a very meta level, you know, like, sure. but I think like if, like reading this ayah, like it, it's very kind of like what Fazan was saying, it, it follows very well. But then if you bring that perspective into it, where you're looking at it from like, you know, how Prophet Sallallahu creation and what God has sort of, you know, deemed for him, it, it that feels like a little like, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to mm-hmm. be on there. But I think just from like a practical sort of living in the dunya, uh, you know, knowing that you are ultimately like broken in front of God and you're seeking from him, that you should always seek, you know, good from him and that, you know, he will respond to that. Okay. Okay. So if we add the eye that comes after it, uh, who can turn away from the middle of Ibrahim except basically a fool? Yeah. Uh, Another way to read this ayah is that it's connecting Ibrahim al-Islam with the Prophet, peace be upon him. Which then means we're claiming Ibrahim al-Islam over the other people of the book. It's another way to read this ayah. Right? Especially if you look at it in the context 
of what comes immediately after. Another way to read this ayah is that, okay, Ibrahim alayhi salam is a super prophet, right? As we know, um, 200 ayahs later, or not 200, but 140 ayahs later, he is talking to Allah, can you show me how you give life to the dead, right? Talking directly with Allah. His du'as are being answered immediately because Allah is speaking to him immediately. How long did it take for this du'a to manifest in the dunya? Give me a number of years, roughly. Probably 3,000? Yeah, probably 3,000, 3,500 years for this du'a to manifest. So one way to read that is that it took 3,500 years from Ibrahim al-Islam's point for the world to be made ready for the Prophet, peace be upon him. That part of the greatness of the Prophet, peace be upon him, is that Ibrahim al-Islam's prayer took that long to manifest for the world to be ready for his appearance. So what am I illustrating for you? Just look at the ayah. Yeah, I could direct it this way. I could direct it that way. When we add the context, then we have something more. Or when we read this as an elevation of Allah, of the Prophet, peace be upon him, as the creation of Allah, makes him look even more amazing. Good. As to the question, you know, of... Uh, uh, Super prophet, yeah. As to the question of uh, uh, is uh, is he chosen because he's great, or is he great because he's chosen? It's uh, the question is kind of pointless, right? Because effectively, it does become free will predestination. Both answers are yes, or it's sufficient to say he's he's he's, cho he's chosen because Allah chose him. He's great because Allah made him great. Because we would defer to that side, of course, right? But then this gets into the second question to, to wrestle with for next time. Uh, we start with the prophet, but that which Allah tells us to do as fard, or that which Allah tells to us to do, not to do as haram, are they fard? Are they beneficial because they are fard? Or are they fard because of them being beneficial? Are they haram because they are detrimental? Or are they detrimental because they are haram? Same question, not applying to the prophet, peace be upon him, now applying to these commands. This is a big debated philosophical point about across traditions and probably based on that question from Socrates to Euthyphro. Does yeah. Is this kind of like, sorry to cut you off, but like le leading into like the whole problem of evil too? Uh, probably, but what's your connection? No, you know, I'm saying this is how they say like what what defines evil, you know, like, and then it's, it seems similar. Like, is it the nature of the act itself or is it because some authority has deemed this act evil? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, that sounds like the same universe. Um, I don't know if that's how the line of reason grew, but probably. So this is what we will discuss, inshallah, next time, which I guess will be in person, inshallah. Inshallah. Yeah. All right. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections? Um, I did have a question. Uh, I know yes, we're sir. at time, but 
I can save it if you prefer. <laughs> yeah, go for it. So when we were talking about envy in the beginning, um, so I was thinking about stories that had conflict, I know I said we didn't have any homework because I didn't do it, but as I was um, driving, I thought about um, con- not conflict, but friction. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about like uh, Musa Salam and Khidr. And when you were talking about good envy, I was thinking, would that count under, you know, that good envy where he went to somebody who had knowledge that he didn't have? And then they had friction and they had to go their separate ways. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that would count under what you were looking for. Possibly. And again, the point of all this is not to come to a conclusion. The point is, how can we get further appreciation for Allah and for Allah's teachings? That's mm-hmm. the real goal, right? I hope that as we've been going through all this, you know, you might have thought, I'm going to learn philosophy. The actual goal has been to stretch our understanding of what we already know, so as to, inshallah, increase our appreciation of, of Allah and the deen. Hopefully, that's been steadily getting accomplished by making everything even wider than we've done before. Make sense? Yeah, and, I'm, yeah, and I, I think it speaks to, like you're saying, like mental models and, and ways of thinking. Um, uh, the other thing I, I, was trying to, I wanted to bring up last class, but I forgot to, was when you were talking about the... Um, you know, names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how you know the what your the dua of your tongue versus the dua of your heart and how many things really what we're asking will come down to this common denominator of rahmah. Um there's that the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that call him by Allah or call him by Ar Rahman. Yes. Either one you call him, all the all the names belong to him, the good names. So it, it kind of summarized that entire um lesson or that thought process. Yes. Uh, because it has Allah Rahman and then all the names. So I just wanted to share that as well. Oh, thank you for sharing that because that uh, is where I stole it from. I stole it okay. from Allah. Yeah, yeah. But is, is it in Surah Al-Baqarah? Because that's kind of your, <laughs> your go-to. Uh, I don't think it is, but I forgot where it is. Yeah. Okay, very good. So so that is the question for you all. Is that which is, so is that which is fard, fard because Allah says so or is it because he made the thing so beneficial and then that which is haram haram because he made the thing so detrimental or is it haram because he made it haram and again part of the goal is just to wrestle with a question but to go into whether further insights another way to think about this is that everything that happened in the past was allah's will meaning from my vantage point living in blah 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 time let's say 1444 what month is this anybody know Okay, well, whatever month this is of the year 1444, every single thing that happened before this was predestined as far as it matters. In their time, Ibrahim al-Islam is making the dua, but for our purposes, it's all predestined. And thus we say, Masha Allah, it was Allah's will. In their time, predestined or not, Allah knows best. Uh, but even everything you and I are doing is predestined for the person who comes in the future. All righty. So hopefully you all are still finding the discussions to be beneficial when you get to see me in my full three dimensions, you know, and smell vision Hopefully it'll be an even more enhanced <laughs> experience. Well, 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 we get to see. Were you drinking from a vase? Or is that like a cup? It looks like a vase of knowledge or a vase of, yeah, that, what is, is that a flask? <laughs> the holy grail. <laughs> this, uh, like, you know, like, you know, like rappers will have their thing, you know. Nice. It's actually a drinking cup that, that was given to me after I did somebody's wedding. So, <laughs> Masha. I'll, uh, 
All right, inshallah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta nastafiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah reward you all. And inshallah, we'll see you in person, inshallah, next week. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Jazakallah. Jazakallah. Jazakallah.